see, I, I, maybe I shouldn't even say this, but I keep, I keep forgetting that around the period of time where we are in Nick Cage's career, um, he went on <laughs> a road trip to clear his head and, and wrote a, uh, and wrote a tour diary of his travels through um, America. And I keep meaning to read it and um, bring in... So the, it's readily available? Yeah, I found it. Is I, it like published or is it just online? It, it was in a magazine. It was, I forget, some magazine I haven't heard of. Um, but in saying that now, I, I swear that next time I will come in with some notes of uh, Nick Cage's journey to the center of America. I wonder if it was life imitating art, really. I, th- I think he, he did it right before Honeymoon in Vegas. And, um, and he did Honeymoon in Vegas, uh, uh, Red Rock West, and um, Deadfall. He did kind of all at once. So uh, this, this was a crazy time for him. I, I mean, again, he needed money, um, l- lest we forget. But... Um, I don't think we ever could. Yeah, yeah. and we never will throughout the, the rest of this. Um, but a little, you know, there, there's not a lot of that interesting backstory. Uh, well, actually, there's one really interesting piece of backstory about this movie. But just to start off, a little quote from the unauthorized biography of Nicolas Cage, the man behind Captain Corelli by Ian Markham Smith and Liz Hodgson. Um, he, he said, this is... Red Rock West is the kind of movie that he wants to do or wanted to do at the time. It's a smaller movie than uh, most of the ones that I've been making. It's a way of getting back to my roots to find another style. So much happens to this guy in a period of two days that it borders on comical. It's primarily entertainment, but hopefully it will have some thought to it. Red Rock West is a noir movie, a lot edgier than Honeymoon in Vegas. This is true. It's sort of a down-and-dirty, blue-collar, anti-hero picture of the kind that I'd like to see making a comeback. We're in a recession, and I think more and more people will relate to the characters who are up against a wall, worrying where they are going to get their money from. This is the age of the blue-collar hero. So, But Nicolas Cage was that guy, just like wondering where he was going to get his next paycheck. It's true. <laughs> yeah, it's true. So maybe that's why he related to it so much. Yeah. Yeah. He really was that guy, huh? Um, and he, similar to, uh, Michael in the movie, that was his name, right? Mike, his character's name. Yeah. Yeah. Michael. Um, he had ridiculous things, get, opportunities getting thrown to him and he said, yes, <laughs> I um, like how every single time he said yes to you, you cringed. Yeah. As soon as he said yes and you realized the implications, you were like, Oh, not again. <laughs> yeah. So I, I kind of, I kind of talked this movie up cause the last time I saw it was in high school. And I remember coming away. I remember it being a genre movie that I came away from with the, that feeling of pure enjoyment that, um, when, when something delivers exactly what you want it to deliver to you, what, 
what was your experience watching this movie for the first time? I really liked it. Yeah. I really liked it. I was like very pleasantly surprised. I thought it was going to be something different than what it was. And I actually prefer what I saw, I think over what I expected it to be like. What did you expect? I expected less of a, a complicated, uh, like interlocking personal, uh, stuff and more of just a general Western. Cause you had described it to me. You, you said it was a Western. Yeah. So I thought more of like of a good guy, bad guy yeah. kind of like situation in the desert. Yeah. No, it was a noir. I, I, my is much more of a, I mean, Westerns can have complicated character dynamics too, but yeah, this is very much a noir. I, I was a little underwhelmed compared to how it sat in my like high school memory. It's a lot straighter than I, um, I remember it's clearly like an independent film of the kind that people were making in the early nineties, like a truly, uh, one of those independent films, like, of like reservoir Dogs style. Like there's not a lot of money, but they made what money they had really go a long way. They really stretched it. Yeah. Cause it, it looks, it looks good for looking cheap and, um, and it's stylish. It's, it's yeah, so it is, stylish. It is really stylish. It's such a stylish movie. And I think that's what saves it. Yeah, it is. Yeah, because it, it doesn't, it really doesn't reinvent the wheel at all, but it's fun. Like the pace of it nonstop, kind of like what you were saying, like Nick Cage is like, is confronted with some, like a new twist, like every five or 10 minutes, you know? <laughs> and there's a, there's an exciting chase sequence yeah. that unfolds once that twist takes place. I mean, it really is, the movie really moves fast, but it never feels like it's getting out of control of itself. Yeah. It's not rushed. Yeah. It, it's not like a breakneck speed, but once the, once things get in motion, it doesn't slow down. It just, it's pure incident. And with enough characterization to make it, it fun and interesting, you know, it's a less special movie than I remember it being again, in my memory, I was thinking of movies like, uh, reservoir dogs or, um, what's the fucking, that other Quentin Tarantino one with, uh, but that he wrote with Christian Slater, true romance. True romance yeah. Yeah. I, I had kind of remembered it like that and, and it, I think what I was remembering was the stylish lighting and Dennis Hopper's awesome suits and just like his Buick, the Buick (laughs) that Dennis Hopper drives around. It's beautiful. It's, it's a beautiful machine. It really is that, that stops like two inches from Nick Cage's face. Yeah. The, and, and like he says in that quote I read, the tone of it is almost comical, but they don't, they, they don't stray too far into camp or comedy like they the the tone of it is really controlled uh which is cool the twists that keep coming are interesting like even when the whenever i felt like it was straying into like a cliche of a movie that i had seen before it, it packed on like another layer of of incident and like intrigue in and not in like a way that I mean, not in like a brilliant way. This isn't, no one would um, confuse this movie with a Coen brothers movie, but it, but it's unique and it, and it was clearly made with love of, 
of a certain sense. Like this, I looked up this director. Um, yeah, what else has he done? What's his name? John Dahl. Well, after this movie, he was set to make uh, that movie A Simple Plan. Did you ever see that? Yeah. With Nick Cage. Really? Oh, yeah, but it, oh, that would have been really cool. I know, but it, it never it, it never happened. It went to a different director. Um, but he, he made Rounders and uh, Joyride. And, oh, and he's directed a bunch of TV now. Like, pretty much every, like, you know, uh, like a lot of HBO or, like, that that kind of stuff. He'll right. do, like, an episode here and there of, like, True Blood or whatever. And just whatever calls for, like, some style without excess of style. I'm, I mean, it's, yeah, I, I don't know what you call this, that kind of it's like better than average. It's like better, better than average, um, stylish kind of like dramatic direction that has a little bit of camp and fun to it. Um, but is, cause it is fun. It is fun. It is. Even though everything that happens is kind of really serious. Yeah. There's still a sense of fun throughout the entire movie. Yeah. I mean, cause I think, um, for better or worse, like they don't, I I wasn't like that worried about Nick Cage's character in this like even though all this fucked up shit kept happening yeah. to him I knew he was going to make yeah, it to the end right. and the fact that yeah the shit can get more and more fucked up and in that kind of action movie way like I wasn't like oh no what's that going to do to his psyche it was just like well, how's yeah. he going to get out of this scrape there were shootouts there yeah. were car chases the la- the 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 chase with the car uh, and the train yeah, was really, ac- is actually really exciting. It's cool. That was a really, really well done sequence. The, my favorite sequence is, uh, when he, the bridge from yeah. the roof to yeah. the, to the truck. Yeah. yeah. That whole part yeah. where he, he, uh, Dennis Hopper takes him into the bar and they like bond and then, and Nick Cage real he wants to get out of the bar because he knows that it belongs to uh, what's that guy's name J T Walsh yeah and um, and then he figures out who Dennis Hopper is and they figure out who he is so he like climbs up on the roof and has to make that bridge to the top, top of that uh, box truck with like a plank it, yeah that that was cool. That's like, I don't, like that stood out to me. And then he like stops the truck on the road and says, what does he say? He's like, uh, I had to get away from my old from lady. My old lady. <laughs> that guy gets out of the truck and points a gun Dwight at Dwight Yoakam. Head. That was Dwight that Yoakam? That was Dwight Yoakam. Oh, fuck. Also, also, Dwight Yoakam wrote and performed the song over the ending credits. Oh, the soundtrack to this was really good. Really too. good. It was yeah, really good. That really does a lot of the work. They reminded me of Dead Man a little bit. Mm, yeah, yeah, actually, I see that. Yeah, but yeah, Dwight Yoakam sticks a gun in his face and says, does that tickle? Because it won't if I pull the trigger, which is the kind of dialogue that really sums up, I guess, what we're talking about. <laughs> you know, it's like totally, it's like just too overbaked to be like serious, but like also kind of awesome. <laughs> like, um, and Dennis Hopper. Honestly, this is this is one of my this might now be one of my favorite Hopper roles. Yeah. He it, is just on top of it in this movie. Yeah, he really is. He's like on his A game. Apparently the director wanted him to play the JT Walsh character 
at first. The sheriff? The sheriff. Whoa. Yeah. And Dennis Hopper was like, no, I have to be live. Oh, he definitely made the right yeah. choice. Yeah. That's, that's definitely the, this would have been such a different movie yeah. if Dennis Hopper had played the sheriff. JT Walsh is an interesting character actor. He almost like didn't fit in that role, but then because he seems like such like a dad and so kind of like, he's just like lumpy and soft spoken and, and not, he doesn't seem like passionate, but then that also kind of really makes it work because you don't expect him to be as craven of a shitty person that he is. And as, as that ramps up, it, it makes him kind of more poignant. Yeah. He's interesting. And picturing Dennis Hopper in that role doesn't make sense. Whereas Dennis Hopper as Lyle, Lyle from Dallas, the fucking killer, which I mean, just his boots and everything is so it's, it's great. When he's like yelling when they're driving in the train sequence. Oh yeah. He's and pointing the gun at him. He's pointing the gun at him and Dennis the Dennis Hopper just yelling and like whooping and hollering the whole time. Yeah. This is one of those movies too that I was like so I like didn't take that many notes in it because I was just kind of like enjoying it. Like I there wasn't a lot for me to like pick apart because it it sets out I I guess like what's what I have to say about it and also like kind of what I don't in the sense of like why there, I don't have more to say about it is that it's a movie that sets out to do, to be a particular thing and do a set of things. And it does it. It, it, it is exactly what it wants to be and it nails it, you know, and it's so much easier to talk about movies that are reaching for something and fail or, reaching for something and do something else completely. But this is like, yeah, it's just, it's a indie movie that is not trying to, you know, it, we think about, especially in the early nineties, these movies, these indie movies that are outside of the Hollywood system that can do whatever they want. But really this movie, it aspires to be a very good noir, like a, with a Southwestern feel and John Dahl, I guess, aspires to be, a serviceable director, you know, and, <laughs> and it works. There's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. What, so really this movie just hits all its beats. Yeah. So here's what the most interesting thing about, I, I don't know if you read about it's kind of what happened with its release. Yeah. It, it went straight to HBO, right? Yeah. Yeah. I didn't realize that. I was reading about it afterward and I was really surprised because it appeared to me the whole time I was watching it. I mean, it was just such good quality that I assumed that it had had a theatrical release. Well, it did. This is what was... Oh, did it really? Well, this is what's interesting. It, it hit the festivals and got a lot of praise. The It, it just couldn't find an American distributor. It just kind of like fell through the cracks. And um, it's a, it, it said that test audiences simply did not know how to categorize it. So... The, I'm reading from the book again. It says Columbia TriStar Home Video had put up $3.5 million of the budget in return for U.S. distribution rights, and they sold that to HBO to to try and recoup some of their costs. So it went straight to HBO, but behind the scenes, San Francisco's cinema owner and head of Roxy Releasing, Bill Banning, was determined to give the film a wider audience. He called John Dahl, who told him that Columbia TriStar Home Video owned the United States rights. They said they were happy to let him release the film, but that they did not own a single 35 millimeter version of the movie. 
Eventually, he won permission to get a print from the Canadian distributors, and he released it at the Roxy Theater in San Francisco and the Oaks in Beverly uh, on the other side of the San Francisco Bay in February 1994. So this is like a couple years after it's like it was actually shot. And it grossed $17,000 in its first weekend, um, which is not a lot, but it's, it is a lot for like two theaters. And it ran for a record six weeks. And within a month, it had broken the Roxy's all-time box office take. And Banning had 20 prints struck for distribution around the country. So then it, so it had a late theatrical release. And, um, but it, it still kind of fell through the cracks. Like a lot of people didn't see it. Like a, a lot of the critical press that it did get were critics being like, this is a really good movie that nobody is watching and other, it would probably make a lot of best of lists for this year. If anybody, if, if saw, anybody it. saw it, but nobody saw it. So it really did take it like over a year to get put out. Yeah, in the and, theaters, and and I don't really like. I I think maybe, I this movie was a little more groundbreaking in a in a way that maybe I'm giving it credit for in my head, or just like, if not groundbreaking, then kind of outside of the norm. Because we, with the benefit of hindsight, that wasn't the norm. I mean, it's the same. It's a very really stylish noir. If if not now, they should have seen it then. I guess is what I'd say. Well, I'm just surprised I didn't had never heard of it before I started doing this podcast because yeah. like a, a a Nicolas Cage like noir starring Dennis, Dennis Hopper. Hopper, like that's like something I would have been into. Yeah, and it and it's pretty much as cool as you would want it. Yeah, to definitely. Be. Like I kind of wish somebody had recommended it to me earlier. Yeah, you know, when you were in high school. <laughs> sure, I mean, but I just like I feel like that's a that would that's a cool thing to like tip someone off to for sure. You know, be like because no, it's not really that well known. Not now. at all. And I think we're gonna see that in some of the other movies that we're we're seeing in his '90s run. Like, and and I may be wrong. Like but when we're talking about pre Family Man uh, Nicolas Cage movies, but, um, I I think like we're gonna see a lot of movies that. Are that aren't art films that aim for that are pure entertainment but are interesting that have a weird interesting take or twist on them and I think also we're gonna see him it seems like he stopped choosing movies that were interesting that he could be a crazy character in um, with the obvious exception of deadfall um which is next and um and movies that i i guess i'm thinking of like eight millimeter or uh, face off or um snake eyes or, or movies that are stylish and um just interesting like visually interesting and um thematically interesting even if ultimately where they aim is like kind of like dumb action movie blockbuster. <laughs> yeah, I wish it had happened sooner. And the thing is, is I think that there were seeds in other movies that we've seen already. Mm. But this is the first time I think that I've seen one of the non, like really famous canonical ones mm-hmm. like Moonstruck or Wild at Heart mm-hmm. that I've actually been like, oh, this is really good for reasons that have nothing to do with Nicolas Cage. Yes. You know what yeah. I mean? Yep. 
I, I also, I think this is his most understated performance that, that has a depth. I mean, the, the mo- his most understated performance is Firebirds so far, but that's I like, see, I disagree. I think this is far more understated than Firebirds. So? I guess he had those yeah. like rage moments right. in but, Firebirds. But the, the, the reason being that weirdly enough, he only has a couple outbursts in this movie yeah. and they are all appropriate. Yes. Yeah. So they make I sense. think, but whereas in Firebirds, none of his outbursts were appropriate ever. <laughs> nothing, nothing about his performance was necessarily appropriate, but nothing about that movie was fucking appropriate. But you no, know, you're completely right. And it's, you know, you know what it is, is he doesn't ever steal the scene. He never upstages everyone who's acting with him, and I think this is the first time you. It's it's really you've seen that. Nicholas, the thing is, like Nick Cage couldn't even upstage Dennis Hopper's performance yeah. in this movie, and he doesn't try. He almost like ceded that respect to him yeah. in a way. I mean, honestly, now that you mention it, I I think it probably deliberate. I think so too. You know, he was probably like, I can't out Hopper, Dennis Hopper. If Hopper wasn't in the movie, Nick Cage would be in that role. You know what I mean? Like that's the role with the most flair and weirdness. And he's got a lot of like fun lines and moments. And, um, he's unhinged. Yeah. He's unhinged. Like his entire performance in this film is completely unhinged. And there couldn't have been two, <laughs> you know, it couldn't have been unhinged Hopper versus unhinged Cage. Though I wish, I wish there was a movie where that had happened. But that would have sunk this movie. It would not have been appropriate. And um, yeah, the, in a way, this is his first kind of grown-up role. I I like the implication that he was elected sheriff by exploiting like the locals' alcoholism. I didn't catch that. Okay, so there was a line where Nick Cage asked, like, well, how did he get elected? Mm-hmm. And then they were like, well, he bought every he bought every constituent a beer or something <laughs> like that. Like, implying that he owned the bar first, and since it was the only bar in town, he, he was just serving everyone beer. And then that, and you know, they were, everyone was friends with the bartender. So they were like, yeah, just fuck it. Elect him sheriff. Like fucking Red Rock. I, I love that Red Rock is kind of, they, they go out of their way to kind of make it a character in the movie. Like one of my favorite, is it a trope? I don't know. Like running joke or whatever is like, it, it flashes the sign for like leaving now leaving Red Rock or now entering Red Rock. And it does, it almost looks like the same shot. Like, and it, I noticed that too. It just becomes like a, like a punchline. Yeah. Cause he, he can't get out of the town. And when they're always showing the neon sign above the bar, yeah, you know, there's like a bunch of shots where that it starts out there and then pans down or like that'll be in right, like big in the frame. And then also when Dennis Hopper burns the house down as the decoy Mm -hmm. and he uses the matchbook. Oh God. Yeah. The, he uses the, the bars matchbook and it says red, red rock West on it. And then then he lights it and drops the matchbook. And then you just see the shot of the matchbook getting engulfed in flames and slowly spreading in the circle. And, and, you know, going back to this being a low budget movie that makes the most of that, it, you know, that's the, per- like, because it really, it only has so many locations. I mean, it has, a, it has a lot for its budget, 
um, which was 6.5 million. Oh, that's it. Yeah. Just nothing. Um, and, but it, it feels intentional, you know, like Nick, his character feels trapped in this like (laughs) vortex of the town so much so that his last line is like, what does he say? He's like, so long red rock or like, see you later red rock. And uh, you know, it's just like, yeah, fuck that place. Right. We're done with that place. Right. I'd like to say a few words about Laura Flynn Boyle. She, she was made to play a femme fatale. She really was. She's perfect. And, and it's like the classic femme fatale. She's so savage in this movie. Yeah, she is. She's brutal. What did you think about the, the end when, Oh, when he pushes it, when he dumps the dumps money out the, the train out. and then just shoves her out. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I thought that was kind of a, like ending yeah. it like that was kind of a cop out. That was, that was the one thing that I felt like they just kind of gave up on. They're like, how do we end this movie? Cause there've been so many weird twists and turns that all hinge on money. like, yeah. And then all of a sudden now they have all the money and they're leaving town. What do they do? Right. Well, and, and it's not that it doesn't, it's not that it's nonsensical, but the, but it, the it, see i think it actually is because i think it would have been a much more sinister implication if they had if if nick cage had actually kept the money kept the money yeah, and pushed her out oh i was thinking even that he kept the money that they kept oh, the money kept together, together because then it's like well she just uh, you she know traded he thought yeah. he thought that he was better than her ex-husband and yeah. then she just like you know basically is screwing him over like she screwed her ex-husband over yeah i i agree you know the because 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 then it's like because then it's well he did it for love not for money mm -hmm. and i think that is i don't know for some reason that kind of sentiment appeals to me more but but maybe that's why i I felt like the end was a cop-out well it would be more of a true kind of noir ending to the the downer end because it it feel I mean especially because his whole motivation throughout the movie is that he has no money, and so much like the real Nicolas Cage. Yes, exactly. So there's this. It's a, it's felt weirdly out of character for her to get up. On, she gets up on the train and she's like pointing the gun at him and he's like, he's like, this is all you care about. This is money. This is this is why you do everything. It's money, money, and like tosses, throws it out. Like you know, he's suddenly this like moral arbiter. And it <laughs> like, was foreshadowed twice before. Well, once before explicitly and arguably twice before. But the first time maybe being when he walked away from his job by when, when right. remember when he told the boss about yeah, his, about lie. his leg injury, he couldn't lie right. and like, and take the bosses and take the boss's money. And then the second time was when he goes to the gas station and there's the lock, the open lock box with the money sticking out right. and he can just take it and walk out. And then you actually, they do the close up and you see him kind of like think about it and wrestle with himself. But then ultimately he turns and and starts to walk out. Right. He starts to walk out and then the guy comes out and it's like, phew. And that again, so really like he has, his character has had many, many opportunities in this movie to quite literally take take the the money money and and run. run. (laughs) And he, and, and he never, and he never chooses to take the money and run. Yeah. I mean, in, in a way those those two foreshadowing moments to me felt also kind of like easy or kind of like i guess just kind of obvious like he is a good guy you know it's like he's he's not all about the money and but you're right you're totally right that it sets that up and then at the end it knocks it down it earns it it 
that ending, it just feels, it just feels less interesting. You see him trying to do the right thing through like a series of like worse and worse circumstances. And I do think that that is part of what makes it interesting. He doesn't get corrupted by sex or money or anything like right off. And he doesn't become like a action hero killing machine or anything like he, everything for the most part, I mean, like riding on the top of like a semi as it uh, barrels down the road is a little, <laughs> a, a little far fetched or like, you know, I mean, there's something, but it, this, it doesn't stray too far from the realm of reality. I, I think part of what the tension of this movie is that they do keep him as a, a moral uh, human who lets himself through one decision be get tangled up in this thing that he can't, I mean, and again and again, like his more, like if he'd have hit that dude and then just kept going, like he would have been fine. He would have had like a thousand bucks and been out of Red Rock, but he hits the guy in his car and he takes him to the hospital, even though he's like putting his life in danger. But he definitely would have gotten away with it because the guy was already shot. I know, which sucks for him. So yeah, he could have kept driving. Yeah. And you know, they would have been more concerned with the bullets in his stomach than with him getting hit by the car. Yeah. Maybe what, maybe what strikes me as like a little weird about the ending is not, has more to do with, just me than, than the movie it, it, or, or that I want my noir to be a little more cynical um, and or less conservative. I, I think that this movie has kind of a conservative streak that, you know, Nick Cage is like one of the last good moral people in uh, a world gone, gone mad, you know, a world that tries to, that yeah, only values money and and uh, loses its head over alcohol and sex and sin and um, and he's a veteran. I know they made a big point about that. Yeah, I mean, so's Dennis Hopper. But right. where did he say he was stationed? Where the bomb blew up? Vietnam, I think. No, no, somewhere in the Middle East. Oh. Anyway, uh, I was yeah, that was I was wondering if that was a real thing that happened. I don't know. Yeah, and Dennis Hopper's like, it's a shame what happened to you boys. Yeah. yeah, I again that scene where they're bonding, I think, is is really cool. It's the same tension too of like if <laughs> you know, this guy almost hits him with his car and then gives him a ride into town um out of the you know, his generosity and is a veteran like him, this guy being Dennis Hopper. And he's like, let me buy you a drink. And Nick Cage is again putting his life in danger just to be polite, essentially. <laughs> I mean, really, do you not think that Dennis Hopper would have fucked him up if he had just outright said no? Yeah, it does feel because dangerous. He, he gets, it turns really dark really quickly. Yeah. Where he just goes like, oh, so you think that I'm not good enough to buy you a beer? Totally. So I think probably Nick Cage was genuinely the, worried. The that, savvy yeah, decision. Right. Yeah, Yeah. But, you know, but that's what's being played on it is as well as, yeah, his fear for his safety, but that it's like, you know, he's trying, 
it's the same. He's trying to thread this needle of being still being a good guy. <laughs> and, you know, in, in a different movie, he, he would have peaced out or in a different movie, he would have taken the money and just shot Laura Flynn Boyle and peaced out. Like there, there are all these opportunities for him to make his life easier by being a bad person. Well, the other thing too, he could have just shoved her out of the train and kept the money. Yeah, exactly. Like, I don't understand. That's what I mean is I feel like he almost just, it's like, man, if you went through all of that trouble, put your life and other people's lives on the line so many times in a row. Now, like, I think you're, I think you can, you're you're entitled to, you're entitled to that money. money. I think at that point, that's, that's ill gotten money. You, it's yours. I mean, and it's so funny because he dumps it out and then there's just like one stack that's like stuck in the door frame or whatever. And he's just like, takes He's like, yeah, okay. <laughs> like that's, that's all I need though. All right. Only like $500. Yeah, though. That's it. Exactly. Out of the what? Like 1.7 million or, or something that it cost. And, but again, the movie makes a, it makes a point of he dumps the money out and he dumps Laura Flynn Boyle out and she gets up, dust herself off in amongst okay, the money. First of all, she would have been, you can't just get up and walk away from that. Someone pushed you out of a moving train. She's there's no, tough. There's... She, she is a tough mother and she, but she gets up and the, the cops are immediately there, which again, like it's not unbelievable because they, they hear the sirens when they take off, but the movie makes a point of being like crime did not pay. Cause I was like, you know, he dumps the money out, but a bunch of it just laying there. Like she gets up and she could just scoop it up and peace out. But it's like, no, you don't get away with it. So this is a pretty tidy, pretty tidy little end. Yeah. What else? Oh, what about, <laughs> um, what about when Dennis Hopper throws that knife into JT Walsh's neck? That last scene in the graveyard yeah. was fucking awesome. Yeah, it was so cool. Yeah, so he stabs him in the neck, and then the way that Dennis Hopper died. Oh fuck! Remember yeah. when he got impaled by on like the fence a, post? Yeah, uh, yeah, on like a statue. He, right? He got impaled on like a bayonet. Oh, of, of yeah, yeah, a statue, and he's still like alive. He's like, fuck and it's up. just coming out the front of his chest, <laughs> and he's like delivering his dying monologue with like a with like a, a stone spear coming yeah. out of his chest. And and that scene was cool too because that graveyard was so clearly a set like it, it became it, it just it became really heightened at that part where and as close to unreal as uh is gonna get um i mean just even like digging up a, a grave in a fucking graveyard with like cl- the classic like tombstones in like the spooky forest and stuff is so like it, it's classic it's over the top and and it reminded me of Deadfall, um, another movie, a movie that takes place almost entirely on fake looking sets um, and is very surreal because of it. Is there, I feel like we hit I it. Know. Yeah. I mean, there's not really much to say. The movie like speaks for itself. It really well. does. Um, not that that's the point. <laughs> If that was the point of this podcast, then we wouldn't be. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, the movie, just see the movie and you'll understand. <laughs> oh, are, are you going to recommend this movie to people, you think? Yeah, oh, yeah. for sure I will, definitely. I think, 
I think when I'll recommend it, which is something that people have been asking me, mm-hmm. and I change my answer pretty frequently depending on my mood. But now when people, when I tell them about the podcast and they're like, whoa, that's a crazy idea. Mm-hmm. And they like want to talk more about it. Then the next thing usually they'll ask me is some variation on like, okay, well, what's like, what's a really good deep cut that I've never heard yeah. of that I should see. And I think this is yeah. what I'm going to say. I think this qualifies for sure. It's, um, yeah, he does a really good job in it. It's, it's solid. It's solid from top to bottom and you get Dennis Hopper in one of his last great roles, I think. You know what else I was saying? I mean, this is a tangent, but I was trying to think of great stuff that Dennis Hopper did after this. Did you ever see Land of the Dead? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, real quick, top three Hopper roles. Ooh, okay. Um, just throwing some out there. Easy Rider, uh, Blue Velvet, obviously. What, what else? What else? Yeah, I'm trying to think of other ones that Speed. Oh, Speed. That was a really good one. Yeah. Um, uh, I never saw the last movie, but... Um, oh, that one's really good. Yeah. yeah. Apocalypse Now. Yeah, Apocalypse Now. Oh, he's his his cameo in that movie is so good. Yeah, it, it, it almost doesn't count because it's so short, but he's he's perfect. Remember, um, remember, when, remember when he played Koopa in Super Mario Brothers? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, maybe that was the last great... Uh, Dennis Hopper role. Dennis Hopper cast. Yeah, that would be a really good one. It'd be really good. It'd be significantly shorter than this Nicolas yes. Cage cast as well. <laughs> yeah. Um, but some really high highs and some probably very, very low lows. Uh, interesting thing that I noticed. Mm-hmm. So the last movie ended uh, with a, a pan over to a road sign. And this movie, oh. at the end of the first scene, closed out with a pan over to a road Shit, sign. You're totally right. Fuck. How did this movie end? Oh, with him on the train. Yeah. If Deadfall opens with a train, then... <laughs> Cosmic, <laughs> man. You have a theory going. Um, do, while, while we're raking up the last little calls, um, Nick Cage can't resist the questionable Southern accent in this, even in this movie. Why though? It doesn't. It doesn't help the character. Like it adds absolutely nothing. I know they're in the Southwest, <laughs> but he's from Texas. Okay, it's still not. Okay. It's still not a Texas accent. No, though. it's not. It's almost more like Louisiana or like Georgia, like or like deep. Like it's like deep South. It's not really Texas. Yeah, and and, and it's just kind of. It's just his like blue collar every man accent you know it's the age of the blue collar hero yeah it is truly and that's that's his voice that sounds like that sounds like a bruce springsteen outtakes collection <laughs> or like yeah uh, uh like a unauthorized biography of bruce springsteen the age of the blue collar hero the age of the blue collar hero Oh, yeah.